Hey, it's Laura Rice, cultural curator, fashion designer, and your guide through the Full Body Frequency experience. I'm back for another week of Full Body Frequency, the one-hour weekly show that celebrates everything full-bodied and fabulous. We explore the truths and explode the myths about the lives and loves of plus-size women. Since our lives shouldn't depend on how others see us, neither does this show. Today, I come to you post-workout and ready to talk plus-size athletes and the upcoming Rio 2016 Olympic Games. Now, although I don't consider myself a competitive athlete, when I look back on my childhood, I think, heck yeah, I was an athlete. A chubby, fat, plus-size athlete. Via ballet classes, cheerleading, tennis, individual summer track and field competitions, and there were even swimming and diving lessons, and a membership on a YWCA swimming team. Swimming, ah, my first love. Now there's more, but I'll save that for another show. Joining Full Body Frequency on today's show are experts in their respective fields and incredible athletes. My first guest is Krista Henderson, a five-time award-winning plus-size athlete in triathlon and indoor rowing. She is also the founder of Born to Rain Athletics Plus Size Athletes. Born to Rain Athletics provides information, tools, and resources dedicated to motivating, educating, and celebrating plus size athletes. Joining Full Body Frequency a little later in the show is Olympic historian, media personality, analyst, Idi Uyo of idsports.com. He and I will talk little known and fascinating Olympic game facts, the upcoming Summer Olympic Games in Rio, the good, the bad, the ugly, and which plus-size Olympic athletes you should be checking for. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Full Body Frequency after this. Hi, I'm Layla Ali. I might be undefeated in professional boxing, but there's one problem even I can't fight alone. Childhood hunger. Over 17 million kids in America may not know where their next meal is coming from. That's one in five children. Yet billions of pounds of surplus food produced right here in America just get thrown out every year. That's more than enough to feed every last hungry child. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks gathers surplus food and gets it to hungry kids before it goes to waste. But they can't do it without your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank by going to feedingamerica.org. Together we can knock out hunger. Together, we're feeding America. To help solve hunger in your community and to find your local food bank, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council.
and you're listening to Full Body Frequency. My first guest, and you've seen her all over the place, from Dr. Oz to the Today Show and every media outlet and blog in between. She is Krista Henderson, the founder, the face, and the body of Born to Reign Athletics, which is all about unleashing your inner strength and celebrating your power to reign over your life, your body, and your spirit in a healthy way. Created by and inspired by Krista's own experiences, Born to Rain Athletics provides information, tools, and resources dedicated to motivating, educating, and celebrating plus-size athletes. Like Nike, she is just doing it and creating a fresh culture of athleticism for plus-size women. Krista Henderson, my athletic hero, welcome to Full Body Frequency. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, we're looking forward to having you on. We've been looking forward for a while. (laughs) So we're going to jump right in. We all have very clear and in-the-box visual references for what an athlete is, especially when it comes to professional sports. What is born to reign's definition of an athlete? It's a great question, Laura. Before I answer it, I just like to first start off by saying that wholeheartedly, We believe that inside every woman, there is an inner athlete. And I know a lot of women might be listening to this and think, absolutely not. I've never been a a part of a sports team or done anything individually. But I firmly believe that everyone has had that moment in their life, whether they're watching a family member or a friend or watching something on television where they feel like, I wish I could do that. And when you have that moment, that is that inner voice that's speaking to that person. And that is your inner athlete. And it's it's basically begging to come on out. So first, just wanted to say that we firmly believe that everyone has an inner athlete. And also from a, a born to reign athletics perspective, we believe that size and shape are not barriers to unleashing the inner athlete. 
When you look at it from a, a technical definition, if you, you know, want to look at like a Webster's definition, they certainly talk about having the physical strength, the agility, the endurance and stamina. And those things are all applicable. And in their definition, they certainly have no reference to shape or size. And I think that is the key component that is often missed today. We have professional athletes and amateur athletes that are elite and they, they have a certain body shape and size and we hold ourselves up to that image. But the reality is, is, is that everyone has that inner athlete and your size and shape are not stopping you from venturing out and, and trying something new and different. It, it can be as simple as getting out and walking and you know taking it to the next level and participating in 5k 10k half marathon races or it can be something completely different like crossfit and training for the crossfit games and so for us we firmly believe that it's important to share the message that size and shape are not barriers to unleashing that inner athlete it really allows people to focus on something that is really positive in their life that has a purpose and that they're not basing their life decisions on what number is appearing on the scale or what number is appearing on the measuring tape. About 12 years ago, you began your journey to athleticism. What inspired it? So about 12 years ago, I was definitely in the headspace of wanting to lose weight. My focus was that number on the scale. And at one day, I was in the elevator at my gym. Um, it's in the basement. That's why we have an elevator. <laughs> 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 I just realized that as I was saying that out loud. <laughs> so we're not allowed to do the stairs. Um, but there, there was an ad promoting the new triathlon club that had launched at our gym. And I also had a bit of a, a mental attitude where I wanted to also prove to other people that just because I'm plus size um, didn't mean that I couldn't do anything. And that was sort of like the little trigger for me. I was a little hesitant thinking, oh, could I complete a whole triathlon or should I just maybe look at one segment such as cycling because I've always loved cycling. And I ended up doing a 25 kilometer charity bike ride. I felt like I nailed it and I'm like, oh, I can ride. I know I can swim and I can always walk the run portion. And so with that experience of doing the charity bike ride, I signed up for my first super sprint triathlon. And within a couple of months, I had completed it and fully fell in love with the sport. For the first time, I was actually carving personal time out of my schedule to want to train for something versus showing up to an appointment with a personal trainer because I had paid for it. And when I fell in love with the sport, I met a lot of great people, including the person who eventually became my coach. And really, he took me under his wing in terms of helping me shift the way that I, I thought about being healthy, being active, and, and really embracing that athletic lifestyle. And from there, it has just continued to soar. And so the website, you know, we think of ourselves as a weight neutral website. We understand that there are some people who will want to lose weight or, or not lose weight. And we don't have a, a position on either scenarios other than if you are someone who wants to lose weight for whatever reason that is, let it just be a byproduct of something that is so much more positive, like athletics in your life, and, and that you're not focusing on the scale. And you can look at other things that are greater measurements of your accomplishments and your self-esteem and your self-confidence rising. 
That's great. That's really great advice. And it's a great perspective on training to become an athlete. This is Laura Rice, and you're listening to Full Body Frequency. My guest this segment is Krista Henderson, a plus-size competitive athlete and founder of Born to Reign Athletics, which believes that inside every woman is an athlete waiting at the starting line. Everyone has a different finish line. The right now is the perfect time to start, no matter what. Your inner spark will ignite a fire. You are a force of nature. The falling down allows us to rise up. Speaking of finishing lines, you write of your triathlon experience. Cycling was my best sport of all three. And by the time I got off the bike, I was in the middle of the pack, but would lose so much time on the run portion and usually cross the finish line close to last or last altogether. You said, I hate having the security car or the guy on the bike following me to ensure that I finished. In my head, I was constantly playing the same negative script. She's last because she's overweight and she's keeping me from ending my shift. Now, you say that was complete BS. Somebody has to be last. (laughs) (laughs) And it was just your insecurities playing into your fear, which is false evidence appearing as real. And I really love that. False evidence appearing as real. How did you overcome your fear of being judged, being visually doctored by both real and imagined by well-meaning and maybe not so well-meaning family, friends, race day spectators, and even medical professionals when they look at your plus size body in motion? Everyone has these assumptions that you aren't happy, you aren't healthy, much less capable of competing or finishing. Laura, it was definitely is a bit of a transformation process. I mean, we all have good days and bad days where one comment can feel a little bit more sensitive than it would have two weeks ago. And some days comments just roll off your back. But for me, I really had a lot of great support from my triathlon coach. While he was there helping me build my physical endurance, my strength, my power, um, learning different techniques within the three sports. There was also a big component of it where he was mentally teaching me what it means to be an athlete. And he constantly was challenging me as to what was really happening versus what I thought was happening, right? Mm. So what's happening, what I'm thinking about versus what some people are saying. There's a couple things. I mean, certainly there is always going to be people who are cheering you on. And I think it's a personal choice as to whether you decide to take that negatively or positively. So if someone's cheering me on and said, you're doing great, keep going, I instantly at the time when I first started would have thought they're just making judgments about me. Would they really say this for someone who's not plus size? And I think what it took was a few races, a lot of conversations (laughs) with my coaches Mm -hmm. to realize that when you have the courage to train and show up for a race And to go when that gun goes off, there's an overwhelming amount of mutual respect from other athletes and the spectators who are there for the people that are competing because they know what it takes to put yourself out there that way. And when he described it to me that way, it really started to shift for me the way that people were perceiving me. Eventually, what happened was, is I just stopped caring if if people mm-hmm. were perceiving me a little bit in a negative light. But it, it also set me up to always take a comment like that 
and just receive it in the most positive way. That's that one aspect of it. In terms of what I'm thinking about on my own without any verbal communication or body language communication from others, I think a lot of it came through just experience and doing it over and over and over again. That may not be the magic pill that people are hoping to hear, but I was training quite a bit for my races. I mean, you build up your workouts, you're doing longer workouts, the closer you get to your race, and then you have your recovery period before you actually do it. And so the more you do, the more you just automatically start to build your self-confidence and self-esteem. And there's a lot of numbers that you can rely on to sort of give you that biofeedback. When you start looking at the pace of your swim and that you can complete 100 meters in 245 versus where I started six months ago, which was, you know, three and 10, that just naturally drives your confidence. And you, you really just start to look at yourself differently, you feel mm-hmm. differently. And I'm a firm believer that when you're exuding that positive energy about yourself, you just naturally attract other people who have similar energy. Anybody who does have a negative comment, they're just not being welcomed into my circle uh, on an energetic level because we don't share the same thoughts and, and same values. You eventually just drown out the negative self talk through your consistent workouts and seeing senior improvement on paper and then you start to talk to yourself a little bit differently and so it does become a transformative uh, process and I think people can have they can go through the process a few different ways but when you're doing your workouts by yourself the majority of the time you really learn to be your best friend you have a lot of reflective moments and you eventually start to realize that you know what this isn't going to be fun if all I'm doing is crabbing at myself for an hour and a half. I want to change Mm -hmm. what I'm experiencing. I'm in control of my experience. And eventually I just, it was a bit of a process, but it was also a bit of a flip of the switch as well. So that's self-love and self-actualization. Yeah. Yeah. Moving you through the process. (laughs) Much shorter way of saying it. No, it's what you described was the process, which was perfect. I guess at the time I didn't know it was self-love, but yes, that's exactly what it was. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Full Body Frequency. I'm Laura Rice, and my guest this segment is Krista Henderson. Krista has coached athletes of all body shapes and abilities and has competed in over 20 races, triathlons, duathlons, half marathons, and rowing. Through her journey, Krista has learned some key lessons and now is on a mission to share them and inspire other plus-size women to live a healthy life by tapping into their inner athlete. There are some obvious and not so obvious benefits to training as an athlete. Share some of those with us. I think the the physical, there's some physical aspects that are positive. Obviously, it's getting stronger. It's becoming more powerful. It's working both your aerobic and your anaerobic systems. And those aspects are very easy to measure and to see that you are constantly improving. You're working towards whatever goal you've set up. And so you get a lot of that feedback anytime you're measuring those aspects. Sort of non-measurable aspects is the increase in the self-esteem and the confidence that you get, um, how you handle difficult situations. I certainly went through a lot of different emotions. I mean, it was in the beginning, it was a whole new experience. And there were times that I experienced more emotion than others. 
as I became as a quote unquote seasoned athlete, Mm -hmm. um, you learn to handle the ups and downs of everything in your athletic journey. I look at those as the key areas of being able to measure and embrace sort of the experience of living the athletic lifestyle. What is the foundation of the athletic lifestyle and how can our full body frequency listeners get started? For me, the, the foundation of the athletic lifestyle is it's really about how you're taking care of your body or you're working your body, right? So it comes down to the workouts, practicing your drills, which will influence your technique. It's working both cardiovascular systems, the aerobic and the anaerobic and the stretching aspects. That's the physical aspect of the athletic lifestyle. Then there's fueling your body. Um, I can definitely speak from personal experience that there were times where I was not prepared for my workouts because I, I didn't fuel properly, especially when it was a, any type of workout over 90 minutes. And you end up bonking on your ride when you're out in the summer time and you're in the middle of the country and there's no one around you. And you have cars coming over going, are you okay? Do you need a lift back somewhere? Which actually happened. So it's fueling your body and, and also knowing too that it has a positive reinforcement aspect back to you when you fuel your body appropriately for your workout and after your workout and you don't have the highs and lows that you would if you weren't sort of being more attuned to how your body's fueled and then I think the last aspect is more of a spiritual or mental aspect one of the things that I struggled with was accomplishing a goal and just wanting to move on to the next one and really having to develop the discipline of reflecting upon what have I accomplished and why I feel great about it what did I learn about the process we can be so such goal-driven individuals that we sometimes forget or at least I would forget to enjoy the process all along And so these three components, the physical, the fueling, and and the spiritual and mental aspect of it, to be part of your athletic lifestyle, you're sort of always monitoring and balancing all these aspects every day. I always have one recovery day where I'm not thinking about it, and, and that can sometimes be difficult just because... I am a type A, go, go, go type of person, mm-hmm. but it's really embedded into your your daily lifestyle. And for me, I knew that I was living the athletic lifestyle when I started planning training camp vacations. Wow. <laughs> you know, so here I am, I'm going to go down to Arizona or I'm going to Florida with a week with my bike and all I'm going to do is swim, bike and walk for five days. <laughs> That's taking it to a whole different level. But it's synonymous with that it's a priority in your life and it's a part of your life every day. And I think more than anything, it's a way to live a healthy life and it has that positive purpose overall. What's next for you and what's next for Born to Rain? For me right now, I'm training for an open water swim event in Lake Ontario. It's at the end of August. So I'm working on that. From a a training perspective, doing the distance and training for that is fine. The challenge is more in the open water aspect of it because I've never been great at sighting in open water looking for those buoys. So coming back to what I talked before about the physical aspects of doing the workouts, the techniques and drills, for me, one of the things that I have to do is start in my workouts focusing on getting my head up more times and looking for the buoy, right? So I have to train myself to do that more and more. And then from a born to rain athletics perspective, 
I think we've done a great job of really celebrating the plus size athletes that already unleashed inner athlete and as a byproduct that motivates other people to want to step out of their comfort zone. I think an area that we want to focus more on is a little bit more of the education and technical aspects. We had a great segment last year around buying a bicycle and all the things to consider from the wheels, the shoes, your saddle as a plus size athlete. And I think it would be of great value for people to be able to know more about that and across more sports. So that's something that we definitely want to focus on for our readers. That's really great. For plus size ladies who want to join you on this journey, how can they connect with you? Laura, the best way for um, people to, to follow along is to visit us to our website, bornarainathletics.com. There you will find where we are on all of our social platforms, and you can follow us on whichever one you know works for you. Um, and certainly you can subscribe to the site, but the site is the best place to go because that's where we have all the free resources for everybody, whether it's we had our coloring book for the plus size athlete. We've got a free ebook for triathlon on your first race day, posters, where to get all the athletic wear. So the website really becomes the central destination for everything that someone might be looking for to start off. Oh, that's amazing. One stop shopping. Mm hmm. BornToRainAthletics.com. Well, Krista Henderson, my athletic hero, again, <laughs> thank you so much for joining Full Body Frequency today. Thank you, Laura. It was a pleasure talking with you and being part of your program. Look forward to having you back again soon. Thank you. For more information about Born to Rain Athletics, please check out the Full Body Frequency Facebook page. And while you're there, don't forget to like us. Up next is Olympic historian and analyst Idi Uyo. We'll take a fascinating look at the upcoming and somewhat troubled Summer Olympic Games in Rio, and we'll talk about why Chicago isn't hosting the Games this summer. Believe it or not, it has nothing to do with the city's well-deserved reputation for violence. It has everything to do with a war being fought on the other side of the world. Stay tuned to learn more. When your heart is broken down, down, down. And your head don't reach the sky. Take your broken wings and fly.
Full Body Frequency is back, and joining me now is Idi Uyo. As an Olympic expert, he has conducted extensive research on the developmental impact of major sport events and exhibitions on urban renewal, policy development, and the political economy. Uyo produces and hosts the recently launched The Olympic Moment video series, which is the definitive story behind the story. Idi Uyo, welcome to Full Body Frequency. Thank you, Laura. You have such a wealth of knowledge of and information on the Olympics, as one would expect from an Olympic historian. Share three or four little-known Olympic facts with us. As it relates to Rio, this is the first Olympics held in South America. The city has hosted other major events, but this is the first time the Olympics are coming to South America. And the Olympics themselves, in and of itself, is not the main competition. The Olympics are like an umbrella. And then within the umbrella, you have international sporting federations, which actually stage the competition. So, for instance, say swimming or gymnastics, officials from that federation actually host the games, and then they certify the results. Once they certify the results, the Olympic people then award medals based on the certification of results from the sports governing bodies. In terms of scale, the Olympics are the equivalent of hosting five Super Bowls a day, every day for 17 days. And as it relates to women, women were not permitted to participate in the first Olympics in 1896, but they were allowed to participate in the Olympics in 1900 in Paris, but only because those Olympics were staged by the French government. So the founder of the Olympic Games initially was a little bit tentative as it included, as it pertained including women in the games. But as we have seen now, during the first week of the Olympic program, women drive the program, swimming and gymnastics um, officially. And women now at the London 2012 Games outnumbered men for the first time. There were more female competitors and their male counterparts. And every discipline that's available to men is now available to women. In fact, there are two disciplines that women compete in that men don't, and that is synchronized swimming, rhythmic gymnastics. So there you go. You're set up for Rio. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you. You yourself are a little-known Olympic fact. You had the rare privilege of carrying the torch on the road leading to the 1996 Centennial Summer Olympic Games in Atlanta, Georgia. And of course, some of us remember with pride how Muhammad Ali carried the torch, the final leg of the relay, and lit the cauldron at the beginning of the Games. This is undoubtedly one of the most viewed events in the history of the Games. Share the story behind the seminal moment and how it almost didn't happen. In 1996, I was a logistics coordinator on the Olympic torch relay team. The rumor was, because there was this big secret as to who the final torchbearer was, and the rumor mill had it that it was Evander Holyfield, who's an Atlanta native, uh, 1984 bronze medalist in boxing. Uh, at that t- point in time, he'd already been a heavyweight champion twice. So everybody thought it was going to be Evander Holyfield. NBC sports president at the time, Dick Ebersol, wanted to keep it a secret. And the chairman of the Atlanta committee organizing the games, a guy named Billy Payne, kicked against Muhammad Ali when Ebersol suggested it because he said, where we're from, he's considered a draft dodger, close quote. 
NBC understood the optics and the power behind Ollie lighting the cauldron. So eventually NBC prevailed. Special shoes were made for Ollie. If you look at his tennis shoes that he wore that night as he's lighting the cauldron, they were very thick just to maintain his balance. Mm. And the rehearsal the day before, Ali was not present at the rehearsal. They had to rehearse at three o'clock in the morning, just two NBC producers plus Ali. All the lights were turned off at the Olympic Stadium. At 3 a.m., a car with no entourage, no escorts bearing Muhammad Ali arrived at the Olympic Stadium. That's when they did the rehearsal. And of course, the rest is history. Now, when he went to light the cauldron, Unfortunately, the rockets, which had been loaded in the cover of darkness, were overloaded. So there was no oxygen to start combustion. So if you look at it, Ali's actually struggling with the flame, and NBC producers actually thought he was going to drop the torch because the flames were beating back against his arms. Mm. But somehow, just a little bit of oxygen got through to ignite the rocket, and of course, the rest is history, as we know. So there was a little bit of drama there that the rest of the world didn't see. By far, that ranks as the most moving moment in Olympic history. And you consider Ali himself, a 1960 gold medalist at the Rome Olympics in the light heavyweight boxing division, being from Louisville, Kentucky, a man who could not be served in the native South because he was black, coming full circle with his Olympic relationship to give the Games quite possibly the greatest moment. So... Even though it wasn't a sporting event, it was still a moment that ranks up there as the most memorable in Olympic history. You're listening to Full Body Frequency, and my guest this segment is Idi Uyo, an Olympic historian with over 18 years of experience across a broad professional spectrum, which includes sports, marketing, corporate sales, journalism, media, and technology services. Valued at $6 billion annually, very few sports properties generate as much interest on a global scale as the Olympic Games. An estimated 95% of the world's population recognizes the Olympic logo, which is a higher brand recognition than Coca-Cola, McDonald's, or Shell, making the Olympics one of the most powerful and profitable sports properties in the world. That said, let's begin at the city site selection process. Why was Rio chosen over Chicago for the upcoming Summer Olympics? So the Olympics are chosen seven years in advance. So for the 2016 Olympic Games, they were selected in 2009. Rio, the candidate city for Brazil, was up against Chicago, Madrid, and Tokyo. Those were the four final cities. Now, a couple of things at the final presentation the Brazilian delegation held up a map of the world. And on that map of the world were dots of everywhere the Olympics have been. And South America was blank. There were no dots. And that sent a very powerful message to the International Olympic Committee. Moreover, at the time Brazil was selected, it was the fastest growing economy in the Western Hemisphere, growing at a compound annual rate of about, GDP checked in at about 7%. So manufacturing and durable goods were on fire. And there was a need to open up the South American market. If you look at it, South America got the Pan Am Games. They got the World Cup. They even got a Pope out of this, right? So there was a need to open up South America. So Brazil made sense at the time. And not much of a conspiracy theorist, but let's just be honest. The Olympics are a European creation and ownership. 
So, for instance, the site selection is done by the International Olympic Committee. At the time, there were 106 members. Of this 106 members, only three are from the United States, but 44 come from Europe. So the Mm. danger you run into is that if the Europeans are not happy with American foreign policy at the time, they can use the Olympics to achieve through sport what they could not achieve militarily. So therefore, if you look at it back in 05, 06, 07, when the bid cycle for 2016 started, the United States was engaged in a very unpopular war in Iraq, of which France, which is the spearhead of the Olympic Committee, was against American involvement in in Iraq, if you will. So there are some, again, not much of a conspiracy theorist, but there are some that say that the Iraq war played a role in this, in Chicago not getting the Olympics for 2016. But overall, at the time Brazil was awarded the Olympics, it seemed to make sense. Though Chicago was the favorite, Brazil ended up getting them. Now, it's rare for a country to get the Olympics and the World Cup back to back. Now, Brazil hosted a 2014 World Cup, and they're hosting the 2016 Olympics. In Mexico City did it in 1968, they hosted the Olympics and they hosted the World Cup in 1970. Again, in 1994, the United States hosted the World Cup and they hosted the Olympics in 96. Those are the only times in history that you have a country that's hosting two significant events at the time. But again, at that time, in 94, 96, the Olympics were not nearly as big as they are today. So that's Mm -hmm. a lot to ask a city, but Brazil got them and now the world is ready to go to Brazil. Even with all the money being fused into the Olympic games, there's major political upheaval in Brazil. There's considerable environmental issues in Rio. Venue construction is behind schedule. There's of course the Zika virus and now daily reports of doping by Russian athletes. Why are the Rio games in such turmoil? It's hard to say because from the time you place a bid, you make your intentions known that you're going to go through the bid process to the time you actually host the Olympic Games. It is a cycle of nine years. And you're asking a city to prepare for an event nearly a decade in advance. And that's just very hard to do. It's almost impossible to foresee an epidemic like Zika, but in a place where you have weak infrastructure and a healthcare system that's not up to standard as to what you would find in advanced nations, it becomes hard to manage something like a Zika virus or anything that's unforeseen. Now, Brazil in and of itself has its own problem. I mean, the economy is now contracting at 3.4% per year. Unemployment is up 11%. They're in the deepest recession they've had in 80 years. And the president was impeached in May. And the new interim president may also be impeached. The city of Rio has asked for emergency funding of about a billion dollars just to see through the games. And of course, you mentioned the environmental pollution at places like Guandabara Bay, where the open water swimming and sailing events are going to take place. So They've got some challenges, but you know, one of the things that we've also noticed as the Olympics get closer, the host city tends to rally to pull them off and the media and the press tend to find it an open season on taking shots at that city. I remember in London 2012, you even had somebody like Mitt Romney, presidential candidate at the time, going over there and questioning the readiness of London. Land in 96, the same thing, Athens 2004. So 
it's not uncommon for the mainstream media, unfortunately, to take shots at a city. But in this case, Brazil has some very legitimate issues that they're going to need to sort out in the five weeks. You're listening to Full Body Frequency and Olympic historian Idi Uyo. If you miss any part of his fascinating delineation of the upheaval surrounding the upcoming Rio 2016 Olympic Games, you can listen to this episode of Full Body Frequency in its entirety on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Every single day, Idi, there are questions raised and suggestions made about relocating the games to another country with a venue-ready city. Again, the concerns being athletes dropping out due to the Zika virus and fears that the venues in Rio just won't be ready in time. What is the precedence for moving Olympic Games and how likely are the Rio Games to be relocated? There is precedent, but there's not precedent for this type of issues. Back in the 1940 games were scheduled for Tokyo, but because Japan invaded Manchuria in 1932, the IOC called for Japan's withdrawal of Manchuria, which essentially you can make the case was the opening salvo of World War II. Japan instead offered to forfeit the right to host the games rather than withdraw from Manchuria. Those 1940 games were subsequently allocated to Helsinki, Finland, but then they were canceled, as were the 1944 games, due to World War II. Helsinki would eventually host in 1952, and Tokyo wouldn't host the games again until 1964. Denver was awarded the 1976 Winter Games, but a referendum passed a couple of years earlier in 1972 by taxpayers in the city did not want to provide the financing required to fund the games. Therefore, the Denver games scheduled for 1976 were moved to Innsbruck, Austria. So there mm. is some precedent for moving the games. However, in this case, the games have had unprecedented sponsorship and the sponsors have had people in Brazil for about three years, setting up activation, hospitality, etc. So there is a lot that goes into the games now because the games have become so magnified, so broad, so big. So as a $6 billion brand, it's almost like the Titanic, right? It's very hard to shift mm. something so big, so large. So postponing the games could work because things that are scheduled in 2017 would all be bumped because of the influence of the Olympic Games. But now there is so much riding on it. Take, for instance, NBC. NBC is the American broadcaster for the Olympics. They have paid $7.75 billion for the rights to broadcast the games through 2032. Their entire fall lineup is predicated on their ability to promote those brands during a premier primetime viewership that the Olympic affords. So in that case, when somebody's paying you nearly $8 billion, you got to kind of listen. So, mm -hmm. so much has been put in place that it's just impractical to move the games right now or to postpone them. Now, several medical experts have come out and said that this Zika virus really needs to be put under control before you have half a million people going to Brazil to now take the virus back to their home countries where it will now become a global epidemic. So medical professionals have come out and said that they the games ought to be moved. The World Health Organization has come out and declared Zika a global emergency. But unfortunately, the economics will not allow the games to be moved under any circumstances. But I will say this. 
that going forward, the International Olympic Committee now must really take a look as to whether or not alternate cities need to come under consideration or whether or not Brazil was an anomaly. Now, we've gone through this phase where BRIC economies, that is Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, have all hosted mega events. So if you look at the paradigm, it's not likely that the Olympic Committee is going to risk something like this by awarding the games to another third world country. So the call to move the games have come from far and wide, and most of them with very valid basis for doing so. Regrettably, the economics of the situation may not permit it. Wow. We'll have to stay tuned for this one. So two years ago, plus-size Olympic athlete and hammer thrower Amanda Bingson appeared on ESPN's Body Issue magazine. As this episode airs today, this year's Body Issue will hit newsstands. And on the cover is Houston Texans 325-pound lineman Vince Wilfork in all his nude glory. Oftentimes, we don't see plus-size athletes in mainstream media with sponsorship or product endorsements. Who are the athletes of size that we should look forward to seeing participate in the Rio Games? And given the ramping up of the body positivity movement, is there one plus-size athlete who is likely to cash in on his or her popularity after winning gold? We've seen Reese Hoffa as a shot putter for the United States. We have seen Reese Hoffa take bronze in the shot put. And if he qualifies again this year, we could see some endorsements from him. The Olympic trials, the athletic, the track and field trials are going on now in Eugene, Oregon. So usually athletes in the throws typically tend to do quite well. But Unfortunately, for field-level athletes, shot putters, javelin, hammer throw, those sports come around every four years. So unfortunately, because there's no professional league for those sports, it's hard for those athletes to get exposure beyond the Olympics. But a lot of those athletes do engage in motivational speeches. I mean, they're hot commodities for corporations looking to bring them in to talk about the positivity of somebody being plus size or being larger and being told, hey, you can't do this, but then they go out and do it. To be able to compete at the highest levels, that in and of itself has quite a bit of currency. So while you may not see them on TV, a lot of these athletes do get some product endorsements, they get corporate endorsements, but not nearly what you would expect from a world-class athlete who is in a professional league. So unfortunately, the fact that that sport's not on TV beyond the Olympics sometimes has an impact, but rest assured that they do get some form of recognition. Now, to even to be in that position, we have seen athletes who perhaps their bodies don't fit the mold. 2004, Rulon Gardner, Greco-Roman wrestling, beat the Russian Alexandra Krellin. Krellin had been undefeated for the last 15 years. Nobody's been able to lay a glove on him. And this guy from middle, I think he's from Iowa, goes in seemingly out of shape, but he wasn't out of shape. He won the gold medal. You could look like a plus-size, out-of-shape person if you win the gold medal or any medal at all, that in and of itself means that what you see is not exactly what you get. It takes discipline, commitment, dedication, etc. You got to factor in things like training, genetics. All this goes into the appearance of the individual. But it comes down to the will, the character, the heart. 
So it really doesn't matter whether the person is plus size. If you win and you're a plus size person, it means you were better that day. All right. So before we go, if you were to compete in this year's Summer Olympics, which sport would you play and would you win? I don't know that I have competed in anything since the sixth grade. So we'll just start <laughs> there. But, you know, I tend to be partial towards the athletics. I mean, it's very nice to see these athletes. We talked about the field level athletes uh, doing very well. So uh, athletics is something to keep an eye on in Rio. Uh, we, Of course, the Kenyan delegation is always very strong. Russia this year will probably not be sending an athletics team because of the doping allegations against Russia. And we're seeing the return of rugby and golf for the first time in Rio. So I'm looking forward to watching some of those sports, although we've seen a rash of golfers pull out. And what we've noticed in the trend is that the golfers and the basketball players and those kinds of people that are pulling out of Rio are people that, again, have professional sports leagues, whereby the Zika virus and things like this are not worth the risk because they have alternatives. An NBA championship is more valuable to LeBron James than an Olympic gold medal. Winning the green jacket at the Masters is more valuable to Roy McIlroy than competing in Rio. So these other athletes, the fencer, the road racer, they are not going to be in Rio because they don't have alternatives in a professional sport. The cyclist winning the Tour de France is more valuable than winning an Olympic gold medal in cycling. So though we've seen a lot of withdrawals, it still be very good games. Looking forward to looking to seeing Simone Biles, the fantastic gymnast who's inherited the mantle from Gabby Douglas, four-time national champion, it, the first time it's ever been done. And if she wins all-around title in Rio, it'll be the first time that two African-American women have won the all-around title back-to-back. Gabby Douglas was the first to do it. And, it's, and if Simone Biles does it four years later, it'll be the first time that's happened. So there are a lot of great storylines in Brazil to keep an eye on. I am expecting a very good Olympics, and I think we'll just we'll all be watching. So for some reason, the games are very compelling, irrespective of the backstory that goes on prior to their start. Ariuyo, thank you so much for being here today. It's my pleasure. Ariuyo is an Olympic scholar, commentator, and sports marketing professional. He's an active member of the International Society of Olympic Historians and is the producer and host of the online series, The Olympic Moment. Episodes are available on YouTube and Facebook. You can connect with him at idsports.com, that's idysports.com, or on Twitter at idsports. After this break, Full Body Frequency returns with this week's Plus One. It may be hard to believe, but people just like you are already saving money. Feedthepig.org makes it easy. Their simple savings plan teaches you how to start saving without going overboard. So you don't need to ditch the car and start rollerblading to work. I look ridiculous. You look ridiculous! You don't need to start foraging wild berries. I was skeptical, but these are actually pretty good. You don't need to sell your organs on the black market. Lie back. This is gonna hurt. Yeah, that hurts. You don't need to rent out your apartment to drifters. I made a fire with the wood in your bedroom. That's my dresser! And your closet door. You just need an internet connection. Don't get left behind. Start your personal savings plan with the tips and tools on feedthepig.org. That way, you don't need to sell all your belongings and live in a commune. These dungarees belong to all of us now, Tom. 
Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Full Body Frequency and to this week's Plus One. I'm Laura Rice. Although summer has just begun, it will be over in the blink of an eye. Don't waste a moment by thinking about what you and your body can or can't do or what others will think of you while you do you. If you need some encouragement, pick up the summer 2006 issue of Fabulous Plus magazine. It includes several great articles about getting into your plus size fitness groove. Learn to run your first 5K, find the right running shoes for your body, exercise outdoors, or learn to pole dance. Fabu Plus covers this and much more. So just do it. That said, until next time, tap into your own full body frequency where large is luscious and athletic living. <laughs> 